Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Wurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused the necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Also coming in 2019 from Penguin Random House is a book I had the honor of writing the foreword for called Warrior's Book of Virtues, a field manual for living your best life. Combat veterans Nick Bennis, Matt Bloom, and Buzz Bryan share how lessons they learned during their service can help empower you into a life of deep and lasting virtue, no matter the obstacles you face. Available now for pre-order at the links below. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Brandon Winfield, the founder and CEO of iAccess.life. I'm so impressed with Brandon, who suffered an injury during a motocross accident at the age of 14 that left him paralyzed from the waist down. A powerful example of resilience, Brandon saw this injury as a mere setback. He committed himself to finding the opportunity within the tragedy and noticed that while he traveled, most places he visited were up to Americans with Disabilities Act code, but there were many areas grandfathered in and never forced to retrofit to accommodate the mobility impaired. Brandon recognized the opportunity of creating an app that would allow people with mobility impairments to rate and review the ease of accessibility and post photos of venues like restaurants, clubs, and bars. Creating this community of people with similar experiences would be something that could help others prepare for types of inconveniences others may face if visiting. This information creates the ability for mobility impaired people to navigate a stress-free, relaxing night with friends and loved ones. Not only that, but it helps others be more aware of the challenges mobility impaired people face and plan events and celebrations in places that are accommodating for all. Brandon, thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation podcast. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here and uh, talk a little bit more about what we're doing at IAPSA. Awesome. So tell me where you currently live and work. I'm located in Dunwoody right now, and we have an office down in Buckhead at a WeWork at Tower Place. Okay. And this is in Atlanta, right? Yes, sir. You're there? Okay. Where did you grow up? My dad was in the Air Force. 
I was actually born in Warner Robins, Georgia, at Robins Air Force Base. And we were there for a few months before we got stationed out in California, where we kind of jumped around in different cities around the desert out there. My dad was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base. So I was there until I was about eight or nine. And then we moved back to Dunwoody and uh, actually spent most of my life in Johns Creek, Alpharetta, part of Georgia, which is about 30 minutes north of Atlanta. Yeah, some people don't call outside the perimeter Atlanta, but I consider it Atlanta. And uh, <laughs> that's where I'm living now, so loving it down here. So when you are a young man, you loved motocross. Will you tell us about what your childhood was like? I grew up basically around motorcycles. My dad was a motorcycle guy, as well as one of his best friends, Tom. And uh, Tom had a few kids that were in the motocross as well. My best friend, Jake, his older sister, Taylor, and Aaron. So from, I guess, my earliest memory, and even before that, I think one of my first words was motorcycle. We used to go to races with them. We used to check out and just be around dirt bikes all the time. And when I was five years old, I got my first dirt bike. And all I ever wanted to do was be like Jeremy McGrath, who was my childhood hero back in the day, and ride for Honda and have my name on the back of my jersey and everything like that. It was just like a a symbol of making it essentially and so that was my dream that's all I ever focused on doing and luckily I had parents that provided me the opportunity to chase my dreams and they believed in me and they spent money and time and sweat and tears on me and watched me bust myself up and wanted me to quit so bad but they knew that this was something that they couldn't take away from me so they let me pursue that I got hurt when I was 14 years old. And when we talked last, you described knowing the risks associated with motocross as you participated in it. In your opinion, how was this mindset a benefit to you with regard to the injury you sustained when you were 14? Yeah, I say this all the time. Motocross is something that if you ride, you're going to get hurt, especially if you do it competitively and you're trying to push the limits of what you can do every time. You're going to crash and get hurt. So I had broken numerous amounts of bones before this one big injury that stopped everything from going on any further. At the time, back injuries and brain injuries weren't that well-known, at least. Maybe this was because the Internet was still starting to come up, but we didn't have social media and things like that, so maybe word didn't travel as far. But at the time, it was very rare to hear about somebody being paralyzed or anything motocross. And all of a sudden, it kind of just started to happen, and then one day it ended up happening to me, and I just kind of laid there, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like, is this going to be my life? I didn't know anything about complete injuries, which is where you sever your spinal cord completely, and there's no real chance of you getting any movement or feeling back. And then there's incomplete injuries, which is where you can just damage your spinal cord, and if the swelling goes down and there's not too much scar tissue impeding the communication between your nerves, you can regain some feeling and even make a full recovery. So this was all new to me at 14 years old, uh, a lot of stuff that happened very fast, and I just kind of had to take it as another injury. I knew what I was doing was dangerous. I wasn't doing something stupid. I wasn't somebody else's fault, and I just had something taken away from me all of a sudden. This was kind of something that it was always there. It's just something that you always put in the back of your mind if you want to race. You don't ever think about it. When we talked last, you described how when you went through rehabilitation, you went through it very rapidly. Your mindset was of a huge benefit to you. Will you describe your mindset and the results of your resilience during the rehabilitation process? It just goes back to me being a kid and what my parents have always told me. Ever since I was young, I was just gone. Like I was wanting to be independent. I didn't want any help from anybody. I just want to take care of myself and do my own thing and, I guess, grow up too fast. And 
this kind of resilience in motocross with this injury, I guess just wanting to be independent was what my driving force was behind this whole thing and just wanting to treat this as a normal injury and I didn't want people to baby me or treat me any differently. My whole thing was learning the full wheelchair thing because when you're in rehabilitation, they basically, it's like they teach you how to walk, but with the chair, they kind of teach you how to get around, how to reach for things that are really high up, how to get drinks, how to transfer in and out of a car, all that kind of stuff. And I was just ready to be out of the hospital, I guess. And I just focused and got through it. And at the time, I was the fastest person to graduate Shepherd Center's rehabilitation program. I don't know if that's on record, but at the time, I was just ready to get out and uh, get back to my normal life. And that's what I did. I started hanging out with friends again. My dad got me a golf cart so I could get around the neighborhood and hang out and socialize and started riding jet skis. And then we got into racing go-karts and I just tried to transition back into this normal life and having fun and not dwelling on what the past was too much and just trying to figure out this new outlet and a new path for what I wanted to do. What were some of the other components of your support system that were valuable to you after your injury? Sounds like you were fiercely independent, really focused, goal-oriented. You wanted to get out and experience some of those freedoms. You still had social connections that you drew on that were very valuable to you and that your parents helped foster. And what things were most valuable to you during that process of, of coping with your new normal? That's a good question. I don't know if it was one thing specifically. I think I just wanted to be happy again. I was around people at Shepherd Rehabilitation Program that didn't have the benefit of what I had of getting hurt doing something that they knew was dangerous. I could just tell that they were down and that they didn't know what to do next. And they had never gone through something that mentally and physically tested them like that. And for me, I had that. I knew that I was chasing a dream and that I was working for something and that it just bit me. And I kind of always had this hope in the back of my head that one day that they would figure out how to fix spinal cord injury and that I'd be able to ride again. So my whole thing was staying in shape and staying active and making sure that my body was ready to go when that time came. In the meantime, there were so many hard days. A lot of people always get to see the good days when you're out smiling and having a great time. And they say they don't know how they could do it and how you have such a positive attitude. And that's because you have to appreciate those good days because of all the hard days that you have when you lay in bed and there's nobody else there besides you and your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And just being able to lean on my parents, for sure. My sister of another person. And I've always just had this strong group of people that set a good example of how to go get what you want. Just very strong people, I guess, is the best way of putting it. And they set a great example. Having them around, all of my family, my friends, my best friend Jake, and everybody else in between that treated me like a normal person and didn't <laughs> baby me when I got out of the hospital. And... Um, you know, made jokes and just cracked, you know, just made me feel like I was a normal person again. Hmm. Um, all those people are the ones that just kind of brought me back to reality, um, helped set things straight, and picked me up when I was down, even if they didn't know that they were doing it at the time, you know? What were the most challenging things for you during that process? Probably the thoughts, for sure, were the most challenging thing. One of the other things that was challenging was just being 14 years old, and you're growing up and starting to become a man, and you're attracted to girls and things like that and so there's this whole thing of insecurity not being enough or just not being able to go places that everybody else just having the freedoms and luxuries that everybody else had being able to drive a car right away that was something that took me a little bit to do stuff like that so you're just kind of as people are growing up and becoming adults 
you're basically going through the process of learning how to walk again. It's like you kind of stunted your growth a little bit. That was one of the main challenges. That also leads down to roads of insecurities. And then I've always overthought things, I think. And so when you lay in bed and you were once at this position of training really hard, you were very focused. You were doing things to accomplish goals that nobody at your age was doing at the time. At my age, a lot of people I know were partying and drinking and they had nothing to strive for. And I felt in my position, I was working super hard for something and I didn't know why at that time it was supposed to be taking away from me, why it had to be me. And so those were things that you deal with and just the fact that you have hard days where going to the bathroom is a labor for us. And sometimes we don't make it in time. You fall out of your chair, you're just having these problems that come with not being able to use your leg. This whole thing messes up your body. Everything kind of gets thrown off. Just dealing with those things early on and then trying to figure out who I was. I loved riding bicycles. I loved, I was a very athletic person who loved to go outside and do things and be competitive and just adventure around with my friends and that all got snatched out from under me. It's an interesting thing to go through when you're about to be 15, 16 years old. So tell me a little bit about how within all of these challenges, that you're experiencing, you see an opportunity. You see something of power that's there for how you can do something truly significant and remarkable. Through all those times of struggling and trying to find some light and keep myself positive and just keep going, I was traveling a lot. I would still go to motocross races and supercross races because that was all I knew and that was my passion and that was all I ever focused on. So being at the races around those people, that group of people I grew up with was like a lifeline for me, essentially. And I used to go to the races with my best friend, Zach Lurie, some other people as well. We'd travel around. I'd go see my friend Cody in Florida and just do all these travels through California, Vegas, Florida, Tennessee, Charlotte. He just started to notice that when we would try to go out to, say, like a bar or a nightclub or something like that, you could possibly get in the entrance, but a lot of the times at these places, the bathroom would just be super unaccessible. The stall would be not big enough for you to get into or just try to get in the door to the bathroom or get back in the hallway, whatever it was, before the dark hallway wasn't acceptable. And so there would be like a lot of early nights for me because I couldn't make it to the bathroom in time or find a different bathroom to use. So this became a source of frustration. And I've never been one to make a scene and say, this is right, blah, 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 I can fix this. So I just created a solution. And it all kind of was something that built up over time. There was one big aha moment, but just over time, it was like, why don't we have this information at our fingertips? We have to plan everything, so we need a Yelp for accessibility. And then a couple of years later, I'm going to church with my mom, and it's a New Year's Eve service. And they're talking about, instead of focusing on what you can do to better yourself that year, why don't you focus on something that you can do to better your community? And I'm rolling to my car, and that's the aha moment was, I need to make an app. And I had no idea what I was doing. Had no, no clue about apps, had no clue about getting into business, how to start a business, how to raise money, how to market anything, how to brand a company, <laughs> how to raise money, how to talk to investors, the lingo, the grammar, nothing. And I just decided to figure it out. This was something that it just kind of sat with me and I was like, I need to do this. I need to do it for myself. I want to do it for the community. This is something I really wanted to see. It's something I felt like I needed as well. And so I started talking to my dad. Luckily, he was pretty high up in the IT world. 
So I ended up sitting down with these guys and we talked about everything. And to them, they saw the app more as something that would be a good fit for me and my friends and people that I knew, that we could just go around and rate and location. To me, I saw it more as something that one day Google or Yelp would want. I figured that this accessibility information would be something that was of vital importance down the line one day that this data would be worth something. And I actually ended up cutting ties with them. And there was a time period there where we were like, well, what else are you going to do? These are the only people you know that know how to develop app. You don't have the money to develop an app. You don't know anybody to develop an app. So, you know, what are you going to do? And I just said I'd figure it out. I did. Awesome. <laughs> uh, not by myself, though, of course, with a lot of help from a lot of people, but just down the road of being passionate about it. And feeling like this was my ultimate purpose in life was to make this happen and uh, serve people and make people happy and kind of give them the same outlook on life that I had. I talked to people. I worked on business plans. I got to meet with my business partner, Saeed, through my sister, luckily. And through all these trials and tribulations and errors and ups and downs, we were able to finally develop a mobile application and put it out there uh, three months ago. You describe iAccess Life as a lifestyle mobile application that allows users with mobility impairments to rate and review locations based on accessibility so that others can know before they go. Tell us how it works. Yeah, so right now we are just a rate and review app. So what you do is you would come to the Google Play Store or the iOS Store, search iAccess Space Life, iAccess Life, and download the iAccess application. From there, you would sign up, select how you get around. We have a mobility impairment kind of selection, whether you are on crutches, a walker, cane, power wheelchair, push wheelchair, or if you're just an advocate for the space or have a friend or family member that has a disability or a mobility impairment, you can come down with those app and rate and review locations as well. But right now, since there's no big database of accessibility out there, we are a crowdsourcing application. So at this point in time, our message is to come to this app to rate and review locations to pave the way for others. You know, the ones that I saw in the hospital that didn't know where to go, what to do, and that they were about to embark on this new adventure of life and this new chapter to kind of show them where they can go and have fun and take that uneasy feeling of going out and figuring something out for the first time. Just take right. that away from them so that they know where to go. So far, we have massed like a little bit over 2,000 unique places rated and reviewed in 40 states and 15 countries. And that was a lot quicker than we had expected to grow. <laughs> um, we just launched at the end of March, beginning of April. It was supposed to be a test run to kind of figure out what bugs that we had, get some feedback from our market, see what they liked, what they didn't like, and what we were missing out on. And we found out that we had, you know, dropped the ball on a few things. And there's so many things that go on in developing an app and how it works that you always end up leaving something out that you're like, no, duh, we should have remembered that when we were developing this the first time around. So right now we're at that stage of just getting people on it. We're trying to grow our user base right now as we raise some funds and raise capital to develop out the features, all the bells and whistles that we want to have because we want to make this a lifestyle application where you can come and book accessible tickets, accessible hotels, just everything accessible essentially for you to go out and have a good time, find sports, find kayaking, finding all that fun stuff in your area and 
just live your life to your fullest and not feel like you have some kind of physical impairment when you come to that. In the meantime, we're just going to keep doing these interviews and talking to people and trying to get everybody to come to the app that we can and just spread the word and try to get everybody on board with this movement. Is it free? It's 100% free. 100% sure. um, free. People, yeah, people need this application and we're not going to make people pay for this. Your app strikes me as a powerful tool for those who may be having difficulty coping with a new injury or a new disability. When it comes to resilience and mental health, isolation can be a powerful barrier that keeps people from experiencing a sense of joy or finding satisfaction in life or connecting with others in meaningful ways. Uh, which is essential if they're dealing with a life-altering trauma. We need those support systems like you were talking about, your family members who were strong, who joked around with you, who expected certain things, who helped you overcome these challenges. So going out into public for the first time after some of these injuries can be traumatic if they're having trouble finding the bathroom or if they're not able to participate in events because of not being able to access a location. Your app makes it possible for them to make decisions with confidence about whether or not they're going or how they can go and be most successful at having a social experience they're seeking, right? It gives people a sense of that confidence. It helps them have a positive experience and it helps reduce the trauma of dealing with all of these things that most people who haven't experienced a disability may not even understand. Yes, that's the ultimate goal of my access. I want to touch on one thing that you said there, yeah. and that's mental health. Yeah. Um, that's such a big thing with me, especially over the past two or three years. I didn't realize how much it really affected everything in your life and everything that's going on if you don't really take care of yourself mentally. And this all ties into physical and eating well and reading and trying to progress as a person. And I had gone through a stage about three or four years ago where I got really stagnant in my life and I wasn't trying to progress. I wasn't eating right. And it seemed that everything in my life was going against me. I was having a hard time keeping a job. I was having a hard time paying bills. Just like all these things were just coming up and it was just like, I can't ever get out of this rut. What's going on? It seemed to be everybody else's fault or everything else's fault besides my own. And then I had this event go on that made me look in the mirror and kind of figure myself out and just figured out that I wasn't physically doing the things I should be doing to make myself feel good about myself and feel that I deserve to be in the place that I am now. I kind of thought that it would come naturally and that it would come easily and I wasn't putting in the work. And for a lot of people that don't have the great support system that I had, I don't know how they mentally and physically deal with the stuff that goes on with them. And so mental health is just one of those things that I think the iAccess tool will provide for people. If they can get out, like you said, and socialize human interaction and happiness comes so much from socializing and talking to people and right. interacting and finding love and connections. And if these people are scared to go out and do that because they don't know where they can go or they don't want to feel like a burden for some people or show up and just have another disappointment or a letdown and a reminder of the physical limitation that they have, it just really sets people back and makes things hard. Right. I want I access to be that tool that we focus on your mental health and your physical health and we start to incorporate things like showing you where accessible yoga is or sound baths, whatever it may be, just things that mentally and spiritually and physically get people right. So much about that with this app as well as I am about trying to revolutionize accessibility and hopefully make these establishments make a change and make things accessible. And if not, we can tell people where to go, have a good time and where to avoid 
Yeah, I'm glad you uh, touched on that because that is the whole goal of the draft. It's a big goal, but I think it's an achievable goal. Absolutely. I think it's exciting. I think it's necessary. That's the reason I'm a huge fan of you and your work and and what's happening here. I just love it. It's it's providing people with something that's essential for helping them to live full lives. And like you say on your website, what good is life if, if we're not living it? Exactly. I have a very cliche quote for that. It's just one of my favorites, though. It kind of resonates with everybody. and It's something that's so simple, but it's just everybody dies, but not everybody truly ever lives. There's some people that say that they live, and they think that living is partying and drinking alcohol every weekend and going out, making memories that they don't even remember. But I think living, to me, is trying to better yourself every day, learn about yourself and progress and not get stagnant and just be a better person every day. I mean, of course, those going out and having good times, the night that you don't remember all part of living as well, but you can't make that your core and your identity. There's there's no true value in that. Living life to your fullest and finding out what that thing is that gets your adrenaline pumping and makes you feel scared and excited at the same time, I think that's when you're, you're truly living. How satisfying is it for you to know how much suffering you're preventing for those who've experienced tremendous adversity, knowing that you're helping create social connections that help people overcome adversity. You're creating a personal pride in people who may not have been able or brave enough to participate in life with a sense of freedom and confidence without your app and building bridges of awareness and inclusiveness between people with different abilities. How satisfying is that for you? Honest answer, I'd say... Call me in five years and I can give you a good response on that. Because right now, I'm not satisfied with it yet. We haven't reached the amount of people I want to reach yet. I think we're just getting started. When this whole thing just started, I didn't know how to start a business. I was going to be satisfied just to get an app out there. That was going to be the thing, like, oh, I made it. Like, I got an app into the app store. Once I see my application in the app store, I'll know that I did something. And I didn't feel a thing. (laughs) <laughs> really once I saw it in the app store I was just like well here's more work we, we're not there yet it's, it's a good step it is a great step and I feel like we're making steps in the right direction but I don't think I'll be satisfied and until people really know about my access it's more than just an application for people with physical impairments it's an application for everybody something that most people they want to be a part of this ride with us and help us fight for this advocacy of accessible places. I don't know. I don't know if I will be satisfied. That's that's one of those tough things, and that's something I have to kind of work with every day. But I want to keep growing this thing and making it big and make sure that it's worldwide and that we revolutionize accessibility. I can't wait till the days where your inbox is just flooded with the gratitude and the stories of people who have been through tremendous adversity, and they... Just fill your inbox with thank yous and gratitude and appreciation and respect for advocating for them, for creating the ability for them to heal, for creating the ability for them to live life to their fullest, and to raise awareness and let this be top of mind for everybody of every ability so that we can have these types of experiences that are inclusive, that welcome everybody's journey. Can't wait for your inbox to be filled from every country and every nation on this earth. Uh, thanks to you for making it happen that they can have a quality of life that they deserve no matter what they've been through. I think it's epic. I love it. I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Yes. Uh, sure. Who are you thankful for today? Oh, wow. Oh, 
are we on a time limit here? <laughs> no, no time limit. No time limit. <laughs> I'm thankful for. <laughs> wow. I'm thankful for my dad, Daryl. I'm thankful for my mom, Jill. My sister, Devin. My cousins, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles. You know, everybody that's in my family. Those people are also supportive and all set great examples of family. And I've been around other families, and it seems like a little bit chaotic and I'm really thankful for them every day. So those people, I'm thankful for my roommate, Zach, my buddy, Paul, my other buddy, Zach. I have so many friends. I wish I could name them all. Jake, Ian, everybody. Thank you, guys. You guys know who, you guys know who you are. So thank you for being there for me. And I'd also like to say I'm definitely thankful for my business partner, Saeed, because if it wasn't for him, I definitely wouldn't be where we are today without access. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? Today, I'm thankful for this interview. I'm thankful for a way to spread the word of my access and hopefully keep growing it and getting it out there. I'm thankful for the roof that I have over my head. I'm thankful for the meal that I just ate. And I'm thankful for this laptop I get to watch Stranger Things on and relax in my office. And how do you fuel the fire within you? I think that's something I work at every day, honestly, keeping that fire going because to be honest, I'm not a very self-motivated person. I can be very lazy. So I think keeping a steady routine of waking up and doing my meditation and then trying to do some exercise during the day and reading and just trying to steadily be a better person and make this application happen, I think that's my fire every day is getting up and wanting to get this project done and be the best me that I can. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Just every day, honestly. Every day when something gets taken away from you so quickly when you don't think it'll ever happen, it just really puts life in a focus that you are just a little pawn on this earth and the world will keep spinning no matter how you get up and how you take on the day. It'll go on with or without you. So how you decide to go with that day and how you decide to act in your mindset and what you put out to the world and how you treat people, it all coincides together. And I think that's the best thing about adversity is just it really puts things into perspective and makes you focus on what's worth it and how to put life together so that everything works for you. I think one of the biggest things that adversity has taught me is honestly just to really help to appreciate the good days and when things are going well. You know, you can have bad days like the world's ending and sky's falling around you but until you really come across some real adversity like you know getting paralyzed off that really changes your whole life you won't take those good days or even just the regular bad days for granted so that's one thing as well as it's also taught me that you can only fail if you quit if you keep working at something and just keep trying to fix it and transition and whatever it may be make something work. The only way to balance something is just to completely give up. and You can bounce back from anything that's thrown your way or any kind of adversity that's set in front of you. What are you doing today you never thought you could? I love this. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Starting application, for sure. I was a dirt bike kid. I didn't really care too much for school at the time. I just did enough to get by. And all I ever wanted to do was race dirt bikes. So starting a business mm-hmm. was definitely something I never thought I'd be able to do. And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? Some great questions. <laughs> what will I do tomorrow that I never thought I could? Probably the same thing I'm doing today. Working towards my goal of having this application that's in the App Store. It seemed like a distant dream at one point that this would be a thing. So every day I can get to wake up and focus on this solely and not have to go to a 9 to 5 job. This is uh, something I never pictured at all. So I'll keep working towards that. 
How can people learn more about you and iAccess Life? They can follow us on anything social media at iAccess Life. Our website is www.iaccesslife.com. If you want to download, put a slash and download at the end of that, take you straight to that link. You can follow me at BMW937 and uh, Brandon Winfield on Facebook. So, yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and sharing your epic journey. Can't wait to see what comes down the line from you and your team in the years to come. It's going to be an exciting ride. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, man.